0: Just two words, two words, two words that make all the difference in your heart, in your life, in eternity, grace matters. That'll make all the difference in your heart, in life, right now. And it'll make all of the difference in eternity. God's grace matters. By grace we are saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Every Christian, like Paul, can say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10. We ought to be strong in the grace that's to be found in Jesus, 2 Timothy 2.1. And grow in His grace and knowledge, 2 Peter 3.18. It's interesting to me that the three individuals that spoke the most about grace in the New Testament... Also, spoke a great deal about sin. Jesus, Paul, and Peter. Paul sincerely did what was wrong when he was persecuting the church. Peter denied the Lord, they knew something about sin. But that third individual, Jesus, came to do something about sin, didn't he? The embodiment of God's grace, he was and is. John 1, 14 through 18. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter, please. I want us to focus on grace matters in our study this morning. But I especially want us to look at the five-chapter book called First Peter. In every book of the Bible, there are themes. There are threads. And when you see the particular themes or threads of each book and you're able to put them together, it will really bless your life and your Bible study. When you look at 1 Peter, let me give you one sentence that's really short that I think will help you appreciate these themes or threads that are really crucial, really important in this particular book. You ready? Glory waits, awaits, glory awaits the people of God. Glory awaits the people of God. So face trial and suffering with grace and hope in the Lord. Glory awaits the faithful of God. So face trial and suffering with grace and hope in Jesus. Grace matters. Now let me show you why that sentence really brings out what's in First Peter. Glory awaits. The word glory or glorify is found 16 times in this short letter. It's about glory awaiting God's people as we get to be before a glorious and great God. Glory awaits the faithful of God. So face trial and suffering. Eighteen times in First Peter. Almost in every chapter the expression is specifically found. Eighteen times. So 1 Peter is written to a group of Christians that are going through trials and suffering. Can anybody relate to that? If you can't right now, undoubtedly... You will soon. But the trials and the suffering of life can be faced with grace. Grace is found 10 times in First Peter and in every single chapter. We'll see that in just a little bit. Grace. Remember how I began by saying grace matters and what an awesome thought that is to live by and die by and go into eternity with? It is one thing for us as Christians to appreciate the fact that God has given us grace But it is another thing to speak graciously, to think graciously, and to act graciously toward others in our lifetimes. As a matter of fact, sometimes one of the most difficult things to do as a Christian is to extend grace to someone Think about the common definitions of grace as it concerns God and how desperately we need it. Standard two word definition of grace is what? You'll hear in any Bible class. What is it, y'all? With one accord, it is unmerited, unmerited or undeserved favor. But often we lack graciousness to others because we say they don't deserve it. Well, did we? A second typical definition of grace is this, in the form of an acronym, an acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. That tells us that grace is not only undeserved and unmerited, but it's costly. It costs the person who's being gracious. God's grace cost him, didn't it? So sometimes in our dealings with others, graciousness may be somewhat costly to us, to the undeserving. Third, here's a common definition of grace, and it's this. Grace is favor bestowed when wrath or anger was owed. And by that I mean not only did they not deserve the grace, but really they deserved our anger because we were offended and hurt by what they did or what they said. 1 Peter is written so that suffering Christians will realize that grace matters. The grace we receive as God's people and the grace that we extend when mistreated by others. Ten times in the book of First Peter, the expression grace is found. Let's look at all ten and allow me to tell you something about each of the verses and then to show you how grace matters in each of the ten passages. Passage number one. 1 Peter 1, verse 2. Peter can't get very far into a book without talking about the Lord and about the Lord's grace. He and Paul, different they are in a lot of ways, but they're a lot alike too. Think about what's being stressed, what's being emphasized. You have in 1 Peter 1 and verse 2 a reference to the Trinity, to the Godhead. You have the foreknowledge of the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit, and the obedience to Christ being sprinkled with His blood. And then he goes on to say, Grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is more than just an introduction to a book. What Peter is saying, friends, is grace really does matter. And here is the point. Grace matters because by it we have a relationship with God... That gives us multiplied grace and peace. Now Steve, that's all a lot of people really want in life. I just wish somebody would be good to me. I know I don't deserve it. I wish somebody could help me know peace in my life. Grace and peace be multiplied. Because of our relationship with God, we can have grace and peace multiplied. Grace matters. Who wouldn't want to be a child of God? Go down just a few verses. Go down to 1 Peter 1, verse 10. secondly, 1 Peter 1, verses 10 and 11, by any good Bible student's reckoning, ought to be categorized as among the great passages of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11 talk about how that the prophets of the Old Testament spoke of the grace that would come to us. In context, it has to do with the sufferings of Jesus and the subsequent glories to follow. When you go through the book of Acts, when you go through the letters, at the heart of their preaching is the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of our Lord. It's what Jeff was talking to us a few moments ago in the Lord's Supper meditation as he gave us slide after slide, picture after picture of Jesus. The grace that would come to you. I want you to know that the Bible speaks of grace in the past since. Aren't you glad that God's been good to us and been gracious in the past? But there is grace in the present and we will see momentarily grace for the future too. Amazing grace it is. Grace matters. 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. Because... Grace had been part of God's plan from the beginning and connected it is to the sufferings of Jesus for us. It's part of the message of our salvation, so much so that grace is a virtual synonym for salvation. By grace, you are saved. Acts 15, 11. Now look at 1 Peter 1.13. 1 Peter 1.13. You're trying to keep up. 1 Peter 1, 1.2. 1 Peter 1.10 and 11. Now 1 Peter 1.13. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of the coming of Christ. Future Grace. As you think about your life as a Christian, you can think about God's gracious behavior in times past, presently in your life, but think about what is ahead. The culmination of God's grace is that we will be with Him forevermore. What a relationship. What communion. What a family. David and Brianne, the grandkids, are heading to Mathis tomorrow. But we are family in the Lord as well as family in the flesh. And we all can think about being in the presence of the Lord forever one day. Won't that be amazing? Set your hope fully, fully, not haphazardly, not sporadically, not occasionally. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed at the revelation. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Grace matters. 1 Peter 1.13 Because the best is yet to be for people that believe that grace really matters. The best is yet to be. Hard to believe it sometimes. The best is yet to be though. Now 1 Peter 2.19 and 20. Grace is found in each of these passages. Let me give you the context. Context has to do with submission, yielding. Because we have yielded to God, we yield to others. And if you look at 1 Peter 2 18 through 25, one yields to the authority of worldly kingdoms provided that they do not require us to sin against God. One yields to the authority of worldly kingdoms so long as they do not require us to sin against God. They may not deserve it. It may be a significant expense to us. And we may feel that they deserve our indignation, and likely they do, but grace is something that is not only received, it's extended. Now when you look at verses 18 through 20, the context has to do with gracious behavior is extended to unjust Masters or bosses, to unjust masters or bosses. Now, slavery was common in the first century, but in one way it is exactly what we think of it as being slavery, and yet in another sense, there were people who were teachers and yet servants, they were physicians and yet servants. So what I am saying is slavery, yes, was rampant in the first century and yet it found a varied number of forms. And when you look at verse 19, a general statement is given. Be gracious when you are treated... Unjustly. On the job, in a working relationship, I suspect it's not uncommon for people to be treated unjustly and unfairly. We might believe, and rightly so, we have the right to be indignant about it. Notice what Peter says. When treated unjustly, make sure that you are still gracious. This should be a conscientious thing on our part. And then in verse 20, he goes on to elaborate. So we've got five references now to grace. Just in a couple of chapters. We realize that people will be punished who behave unjustly. But if you are going to be punished and treated unjustly and unfairly for doing right, isn't that exactly what happened to Jesus in the first place? Notice how 1 Peter chapter 2 ends. It ends with verses 21 through 25 that speak of Jesus being before worldly authorities and people who treated Him unjustly and unfairly and eventually nailed Him on the cross. Did He have a right to be ticked off about that? Was He being treated wrong? And yet, there is this marvelous coming together Of grace and understanding about the awfulness and commonness of sin. You see, nobody spoke more about grace than Jesus, and yet no one hated sin and what it was all about than he. And yet, how gracious he was then. How about us? My rights are being violated. Well, as Christians, I suspect we can, can kind of look to that now and maybe in future days. I'm no prophet how we respond with righteous anger on the one hand and with grace that does not sin on the other. I tell you what, brother Neth, I had to go back home to Louisville, too. Because it's so hard to do as Christians. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. It's the sixth passage. I love this one. You see, if our grace, our gracious behavior in words and actions is extended even to people who do us wrong, how much more should gracious thoughts and words and actions be extended to those who we love and who are part of our family. 1 Peter 3.7 says that husbands and wives are heirs together of the grace of life. And as I was thinking about this lesson and how grace matters, the way we speak to our children and the way that we treat our children, the way we speak to our spouse, the way that we act toward them should surely communicate something of God's grace, don't you think? Heirs together of the grace of life. Now, I don't have any question in my mind. Heirs together of the grace of life means that ultimately Christian families can be together with God forever. I've already talked about that. But what about now? Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 9 and 10. He who would love life and see good days. He's not just talking about heaven there. He's talking about right now and one of the most glorious, one of the most precious blessings that can be seen by people in the world, people in the church and those in our homes are individuals who show the grace of Jesus by their words and by their actions and their thoughts. Think Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupt speech proceed out of your mouth But such as is useful to building up To edification That it might minister grace to the hearers That's 1 Peter 3.7 I was looking at And Ephesians 4.29 just quoted Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 If you're following along 1 Peter 1.2 1 Peter 1.10, 1 Peter 1.13, 1 Peter 2.19, 1 Peter 2.20, 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. But now, look at 1 Peter 4.10 and 11. Grace matters. Grace matters. And when you look at 3.7, it should be evident in our marriages and families because we so cherish them in the Lord. Now 4, 10, and 11. In 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11, there's well known, uh, the well-known verse. Verse 11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Contextually, he's talking about in the church, there are people that have speaking gifts. There are people that just seem to, to have the right words. To know what to say. In the church, there are people that have serving gifts. And maybe you don't feel that, that the speaking gifts are an area where you have been especially gifted. But maybe in the serving gift department, there are things that you do that no one else can do. You know, yesterday, and I'm not saying this is Julie's only gift, but I almost got nauseated listening to so many people talk about how beautiful those cookies were. She is the Rembrandt of cookie making. And that embarrasses her, and I did it on purpose. Love you, Julie. Now, but how every little thing is just perfect. And people saw her gift. But when they hear that that's a Christian lady who has that as part of her business and helping with her family... A lot of people really latch on to that. Whatever one's gift might be. A number of ladies were present at a graveside service that I did yesterday morning for a longtime member here at Westside. And you could tell immediately that their presence meant a lot to the family members. A gift just by their presence and care and concern. Now, look at verse 10 and 11. The source of your gifts, the source of our gifts in the body of Christ and in life itself is God. Amen? He's the one who distributes them. Whatever one's gifts may be or not be, let's not get too self-congratulatory or arrogant. And let's not feel like we have been left out in the gift department because God doesn't leave anybody out with His gracious provisions. Some gifts seem more dynamic. But every gift matters because grace matters. 1 Peter chapter 5. Three references to grace from 1 Peter 5. Number one is found in 1 Peter 5 verse 5. And this has to do with humility and our treatment of others especially elders in the church. Notice verses 1 through 4. And then verse 5 speaks of the younger submitting, subjecting themselves to the elder. While I think it applies to older people too, it especially has application to those who serve as shepherds in the body of Christ. And notice what's said. Think about the wisdom of godly leaders. Think about the experiences of godly leaders. Think about the fact that if a church has elders, they have a number of them, a plurality, and each one brings their views and experiences and wisdom Of walking with Jesus for a lifetime to the table. How one treats those people matters. The passage goes on to say God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Grace matters. Grace matters because in its humble practice, we get more of it. Grace matters because in its humble practice, we can get more of it. I'm going to need all that I can get. And I suspect many of you relate to that. Verse 10. This is number nine out of the ten references. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, God is called the God of all grace. Well, He's the God of all comfort, 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 through 5. He's the God of all flesh, the God of all mankind. Jeremiah 32 and verse 27, but I am so glad to say that He's the God of all grace. When the God of all heaven and all mankind and all mercy is the God who as His child is giving you His favor, it's enough. And how blessed we are. Verse 10. The God of all grace. The God of all grace is able to restore. He is able to strengthen. He is able to confirm. He is able to establish us. God works through the circumstances of life in His glorious grace to make us more like Jesus. 1 Peter 5:12 Grace matters verse 10 Because God uses his grace to restore, confirm, strengthen and to establish us. In Christ. Now verse 12. Some books of the Bible give us a purpose statement. You jot things down in your Bibles, you can put purpose statement. 1 Peter 5, 12 is a purpose statement. This brief letter I write, and I'm doing this through Silas, Peter says, to encourage you and to declare to you That this is the true grace of God. Some of you in your versions have wherein you stand. Some who might be using the ESV or another translation stand firm in it. Same type of idea. Look at the passage. The fact that it is the true grace of God implies that there may well be such a thing as false grace. And if it is true grace in which one is to stand, false grace will only cause one to stumble and fall and not give them the foundation and the security that they need for their heart and their mind and their soul for this life and the life to come. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Sometimes it's just good to take one book and one theme and to trace the theme throughout the book. Grace matters. How we respond to grace matters. How we respond matters. We have to respond in trust, believing that God's going to do what He promises. We have to respond in repentance, turning from behavior that doesn't really reflect what's God honoring and God loving, and want to go a direction that is. We must respond to grace in confession. Jesus is the Son of God. We must respond to God's grace with baptism, having our sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. First Peter one and verse two, so that we are saved. First Peter three and verse twenty one. But I recognize that most of the people I am talking to are Christians. But for those of us who are Christians, how do you advertise God's grace on a regular basis? By your words. By your actions. By your thoughts. In your family, your marriage, in the church here at Westside, at work, in hobbies and recreation, and in your quietest moments. I know this. Those who appreciate the grace of God in giving us salvation and all of its blessings will seek to be people of grace. I believe we live in a world that is wholly lacking in grace. Don't you? Maybe the place to begin... And showing the grace of the Lord more is my mouth, my hands, my feet, my mind. And maybe, just maybe, it's yours too. Let us stand and sing.